I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week's episode is the second half of my 50th live MK3D show recorded at the BFI South Bank a few weeks ago, which, in the light of the current situation, seems like a lifetime ago. In the first instalment, which was last week's podcast, which is still available to download, we heard from Neil Brand and Sanjeev Bhaskar. In part two, I'm joined by Amra Santi and David Arnold, and we say hello to Jason Isaacs. Now, as before, there's a musical theme to the show, with my guests picking their favourite musical moments from the movies. For obvious reasons, there won't be any more live MK3D shows for a while, since the British Film Institute at the South Bank, like everywhere else, has since closed its doors. But the Kermode on Film podcast will continue. So, in the safety and privacy of your own home, sit back and enjoy the second half of the 50th live MK3D show. Okay, so I said it's an absolutely guest-packed show. We are going to sort of take little breaks and do some questions a little bit later on, and we've got a, I've got a trailer to show you for something with, that uh, Nick and I have made together. But please welcome to the stage one of our, I think, uh, one of the first guests that we had here in MK3D, and a filmmaker whose work I have loved for absolutely ever. Very glad to have her here at the 50th uh, show, Amara Santi. I'm not entirely sure why we've got three chairs. I think they said to me, do you need three chairs? And I kind of lied and said yes. So it just feels like there's a... How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm really, really good. Now, you have been up to all manner of exciting projects. Um, You've been working on a a television programme recently. I have, yeah. I've I've worked on a couple of of TV shows, actually. I I spent six months of the previous 12 months in North America first shooting some of um, Handmaid's Tale, which has already been out. And then... um, at the end of last year, or the middle of last year, I did something called Mrs. America, which is yet to come out. Which comes out in April in America? I believe it does come out in April. Yeah, Mrs. America is the story of the women's movement in the 70s, Gloria Steinem, um, and the movement that she um, was massively a part of. But it predominantly tells the story of the anti-women's movement and the woman who led that movement, who is played by Kate Blanchett. So it was, it's, it's a pretty interesting world to delve into. Should we see a trailer? Because Kate Blanchett is in the trailer and she does seem very interesting. <laughs> I am not against women. I am not against women working outside the home. But what I am against is 
the women's liberation movement. Who the hell is Phyllis Schaffler? We need to get the word out quickly. We want the right to be a mother, the right to be a wife. The Libbers want to create a sex-neutral feminist totalitarian nightmare. Do you know what you're saying has no basis in fact? Our movement is about fighting the oppression of all women. We do not want housewives thinking that we are against them. We are against them. Revolutions are messy. How long are we supposed to wait? How much time do we give people to adapt to change? Or am I the only one who's so fucking tired of waiting? That's a hell of a cast. So what was it like? Yeah, it's fun. So tell us, was it? Was it? I mean, I have no idea what it must be like working in uh, in that kind of episode. What, what's it like? Is it different to feature films? Or what's the it, 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 to a certain extent? I mean, this was very different to Handmaid's Tale, which is an ongoing series. Yeah. This is a mini series of um, I think it's eight or nine episodes. Um, you directed two. I did two of two right. of the episodes, um, and it's. Um, I mean, it's it's. In one way, some of the pressure is taken off of you. It's, you know, there is a showrunner, um, which is the lead writer, um, you know, on the TV show in America. We don't really have showrunners here in the UK quite in the same way. Um, and so in some ways, you get to go and play in someone else's sandpit. And the big question is, what can you bring to it? You know, how, and so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's exercising slightly different muscles and it's a, it's a different kind of test of your skills, but I loved it. How much freedom do you have to stamp your own you know, personality on each episode? I mean, for me, I, I specifically asked for particularly the, the, one of the episodes that I did. Um, I worked on um, episode three, which is um, Shirley Chisholm's episode. And Shirley Chisholm was um, the first woman to stand for president in the United States. And she also happened to be a woman of colour. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I think they're very much uh, looking for you to be attracted to the episodes that... Uh, they're going to match you with, and um, and you need you you know you need to feel a connection in some way to the episodes that you're coming to, and so it's a it's a collaboration. That's the word I would use. It's very much a collaboration, and that's what I find fascinating about it. And the cast, collaborative. You get on well with them. Yeah, they were a great cast. I mean, they were funny as anything, um, and it was so. It was just. You know, Tracy Ullman, I, the, the other episode I did was Tracy Ullman's episode, and Tracy Ullman's British. I think she was the only Brit in it. Um, you know, she lives around the corner from me now in London. It was it was funny to get there on the first day and, and meet Tracy. I first met Tracy 25 years ago when I was trying to remember. And, um, and, uh, and I, you know, it was sort of, I think it was like maybe my second time in Hollywood. And, you know, I went off to her house and there was a barbecue there. And so when I met her 25 years later and said, hi, I'm going to be directing your episode. And I came to your house 25 years ago. Do you remember me? She very kindly said she did. (laughs) (laughs) I know she didn't. But um, but it was it was it was great fun. And you you know, they you get to learn from them and they are very open to 
learning from you and that's a really great thing uh, because the theme of this show is music Amber, I want to show a clip from United Kingdom which I absolutely love I think I'm right in saying correct me if I'm wrong that you were the first woman of colour to have a film open the London Film Festival with United Kingdom that is correct isn't it I was the first person would you believe it wow. a black person that is yeah to wow. open the London Film Festival yeah what, what an extraordinary achievement but how amazing that it took that long for that to be the case it, yeah United Kingdom, I think, is a great film, uh, really good performances and a, and a strong story, which I, I didn't know that story before your film. And I think the film, the thing that made it so great was it was accessible. And one of the reasons is there is this fantastic sequence in it which involves on-set singing. Do you want to say something about what this scene is that we're about to see and why the women are singing? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the story in itself is about um, a, an African prince in the 1940s who comes to the UK to study and falls in love with a, um, a, a middle-class British woman and takes her back to Africa to be his his queen, if you like. And essentially that means that she will be queen over um, the African women there. And that's a big deal because at the time, of course, Britain um, rules over that part of Africa. And it was really important to try and create a scene um, in which this this British woman, played by Rosamund Pike, um, um, finds acceptance from these women but it was really important for me to make sure that that acceptance had to be given to her by the African mm-hmm. women, by the women of the of that country, that they were empowered um, as characters in the film to do that. And so this is a moment where exactly that happens. They are, for the first time, showing their real acceptance of her, and they, they're doing it in quite, a, for me, quite a, a very moving way. And um, I, I'm right in saying that you shot this in boiling heat. The whole shoot was really, really hot. <laughs> I mean, I look back sometimes and I cannot, I don't understand how I did it. But even worse than that was that we did this in really boiling heat over over 100 degrees. But then we came back to minus five or something in the UK and we were shooting on the streets of the UK. So your body, you know, my body was just, yeah, didn't know what it was doing. But yes, it okay. absolutely. I mean, I think the heat that you feel in the scene, I hope you feel it in yeah, the you scene, do. was really there. I mean, it was shocking. Yeah. Let's have a look. Yeah. Thanking you for walking the road with them. This song is about you. They are saying Sarah's wife is as bright as the morning star. It's such a great scene. It really happened. I mean, that was the most important thing. If you Google really, really hard, you will find images of, of that moment. It's and they were incredible. singing live on set. It looks like they're actually singing that. Yeah, they were singing live on set. But what was really fascinating was um, that day, um, the president, because 
what I should say is that she is the mother of the now president of Botswana and he was democratically elected, you know, obviously many, many years later, two, two presidents later. Um, and so his brother arrived on set just to visit the set and it was the first time a member of the family had come to visit the set yeah. and they spontaneously burst into song for him exactly in that way. It was just a different song. And... Uh, everything just stopped. I mean, you know, all the, the crew put their tools down. We all just stopped and we just watched this thing happen. And we were just, we were just puddles by the end of it. We were just <laughs> in tears because it was just a really beautiful moment. And it was a testament, um, you know, not necessarily to how they felt about that government or that president, but how they felt about the parents mm -hmm. of, of, of those, you know, that president and his brother. So that was just incredible. Now, amongst all this other stuff you've been doing, you've worked on a campaign that's connected to Bond, right? Uh, yeah, it was announced that um, Nokia is the um, device partner of um, the new Bond movie. And I love that phrase, the device partner. I mean, I, see, I, I probably said it really wrong and we'll get told <laughs> off. Um, but there's this wonderful new character that some of you may have come across that will be um, introduced to us in the, in the new Bond film, um, played by Lashana Lynch. She's a new OO agent called Nomi. And um, so Nomi is the centre of, of, of this this ad, you know, we got to create a um, a Bond-like um, commercial, which really introduces her as a character to audiences, in, you know, before the film. So and, it was great. And you got the gig because Barbara Broccoli specifically said, "Get Amorous Auntie." Well, Barbara was very sweet and suggested me for it. Um, yeah, I, I would I, read that story as Barbara Broccoli said, "Get Amorous Auntie." Or I'm not doing it. I pitched. I still pitched. Um, uh, you know, with other filmmakers. Okay, and, so, so you and, still had to go in and do the whole. Oh, I, I still pitched, and yeah, it was you know, and, and ads are quite a lot of work, you know, because you have to come up with a, you know, a lot of creativity to get the gig, and then uh, and then you have to hope and pray, and you you go through the agency, um, and the client, you know, mm. they both have to pick you as well, so wasn't just Barbara, but it was lovely that she suggested me, yeah. So we'll see this when Bond finally comes out of uh, uh, self-isolation so. in I November. Believe, I believe so. <laughs> and uh, feature films on the horizon? Yeah, so the, one of the reasons why I've been doing TV the last... Um, year or so is really holding on um, because we've been casting Billion Dollar Spy and we finally cast the second role. We got two um, leads and getting two leads at the same time who are names has mm -hmm. been quite difficult. So um, I can't say who yet, but we got Can you give us a hint through the miracle of mime? <laughs> um. Blofeld? <laughs> Very close. Though. Oh, is it? Okay, okay. It's very, okay. very close. <laughs> okay. Well, let's not go on because I might say it out loud and then you'll be no, in trouble. No, that'd be bad. Okay. I might whisper in your ear a bit later on, but yeah. Whisper no. in my ear now and then I won't tell anybody. No. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're Absolutely gonna, not. We're going to finish, but we said to you, look, you know, choose a, a favourite piece of music. You said, look, I'm really busy writing a script. So I said, OK, we will choose a piece from a film that I know that you like yes. and that I like, OK? Because yes. you came on, you did A Guilty Pleasure, you did uh, Sex in the City, God bless I you. Did. That was very brave of you. I know. I, was, but, I thought I'd come back and redeem myself. <laughs> so you went, you went for Love Actually. Of course, Love Actually has many musical sequences in it, but the best musical sequence in it. And, it's, you know, again, imagining a world in which this was our Prime Minister, we could only dream. <laughs>
Yeah. Um, Mary, I've been thinking. Can we move the Japanese ambassador to four o'clock tomorrow? Certainly, sir. Terrific. Thanks so much. <laughs> Brilliant. That's excellent. Yes. <laughs> so, Emma, here's what I want. When, um, when the, the new film uh, gets made, I want you to come here and talk about it. Yes, um, when the, when the, 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 the Bond thing, when Bond finally comes out of quarantine, I want you to come back and talk about it. And between now and the next thing, I'd like you to make a film with Hugh Grant. Do you think you could manage that? Do you know what? Not only would I love to, that is the film I wish I had made. Oh. I love Love Actually. Yeah, you know it's, it's, fun, it's fantastic. I, it is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, but wouldn't that be great? Yes, I mean, it would be great. Yeah. All yeah. right. So, um, from your, your, your lips to God's, God's ears, ear. as they say. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of Hugh Grant's next movie, Amara Santi. Thank you. Thank you. And on the subject of Bond, please welcome to the stage the fabulous David Arnold. How are you doing, David? Oh, I'm... Glad to be anywhere, but especially glad to be here. Have you, are you, are you in the, you're, you've got a series going out on Scala Radio at the moment, fabulous new radio station that's taken the nation by storm, um, about uh, the Bond movies. And what are you, because you're always, you've always got three, four, five things on the go. What are you working on at the moment? Well, that, that's actually taken me a lot longer than I thought it might, because it's about Bond music. So mm. I'm deliberately ignoring the songs. I think the songs have, you know, have an airing every time there's a Bond movie comes out. There's an endless list of the top ten and the bottom ten and what's the best and what's the worst. And Q, you know, 17 newspaper articles arguing about all those things and then the bottom half of the internet screaming about who's right and who's wrong about them. That's what's fascinating about it. But you think this is like 58 years old now, this series. <laughs> it's um, amazing. And, and, and it's still um, front page news. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing. I mean, Anne was just saying she did a commercial for Nokia. Uh, I just did a, a, a commercial for the uh, for the people who make the jumpers for James Bond. How about that? Really? <laughs> are, they, are they nice jumpers? <laughs> they're extraordinary. Uh, they're, they're, it's called N Peel. N Peel. Uh, yes, and it's uh, cashmere. It's cashmere. I mean, I'm not going to wear anything like that, but I mean, it's the most extraordinary, lovely thing. You know the one with Daniel when he's got the, um, like the Roger Moore Live and Let Die gun, the poster for the, yeah, for yeah. the last movie, I think, for Spectre, where he had this thing. It's all that stuff. So basically, he's, it's his jumper supplier. <laughs> um, and they're a, they're a product partner. But it's the, first, it's the first time I'd actually written any... It was a, it was a favour, really. Um, uh, it was the first time I'd written any Bond music properly for like ten years or something. I think. How many Bonds did you do? I did five, and um, uh, so my last one was actually Quantum of Solace. So I started off the Daniel era and closed off Pierce's last three, and um, so it's the first time. And it's amazing how a how much fun it was, but b how sort of easy it was just to sort of slip back into it. But it, I mean, whenever there's a new song comes out, it's always can you come on the radio and say what you think about it, you know? And it's like you can't really. Because well, you mean a new Bond song comes yeah. out, so get David Arnold yeah, to, say, to say what he thinks about it. I mean, you can you know, and, and you can only ever say it's great because if you didn't, it'd be horrible. Because you know, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of people in the world who are going to say horrible things to you. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, if you're if you're involved in entertainment, so um, I, I, you know, it's like always look for the positive and everything. So, do you have a Bond movie that has a favourite score for you? Well, my favourite one isn't necessarily what I think is the best one, but okay. my favourite one is You Only Live Twice. Uh, and the reason for that is uh, I saw it... This is the first one that I saw projected, uh, and it was a 16mm projector at a children's birthday party in Luton. 
Um, <laughs> We've all been there. And, and, and um, I grew up um, overlooking the Electrolux car park. And, <laughs> and so my view every morning was like 4,000 cars coming in and then at 5 o'clock, 4,000 cars leaving. And um, I went to this birthday party at Luton British Legion uh, and they screened for some reason at a kid's birthday party only live twice. Now, this film opens with Sean Connery post-coitly being machine gunned to death. Um, and I was, I was eight. <laughs> And, 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 and then you're in space and then you're in Japan. And I'm thinking, like, when you're looking at the Electrolux car park, every, I mean, when you're from Luton, everything looks amazing, but, uh, but this looked, like, properly, properly amazing. And, um, and, the, and, the, and, the, and it was the music, and I thought, for some reason, something definitely happened at that moment. Uh, and that's always been the one that's, that's, that's stayed there, I think. I mean, what I think is the best, like, varies, you know. I mean, you can go from Goldfinger and Honor Majesty's, but, I mean, it's, it's always, for me, it's always John Barry. Shall we see uh, your Bond music choice on screen so people can hear what it is that you're yes. referring to? Okay, fine. It's unsurprisingly, you only live twice. Hawaii from Cape Cod. We have nothing here. Oh, while we check the space track. Hawaii to Jupiter 16. Hawaii to Jupiter 16. Still does it. That still does it for me. I'm still. I've got. I've got goosebumps. It's the most extraordinary thing. A sense of the inevitable somehow, and, and nothing. Nothing overblown. You know, it's not vast. It's not huge. It's kind of steady and inevitable. And he has this way, John Barry. He does this. He does this thing. He's repeated it in two or three Bond movies, where he has like a sort of four chord sequence, like a code thing, which just repeats, right. slowly repeats. And then he has these other elements, which just sort of add and add and add and add. And, and you just get the sense that whatever's going to happen is going to happen and we can't stop it. And you just feel like you're sort of grabbing on, like, you don't, I don't know. I know what's going to happen. I've seen it hundreds of times, but <laughs> I still feel like I don't. The other thing I love about it is I remember going to see it, and I mean, I, do, I didn't know anything about, because you see, like, the way that Bond movies used to work is they, when I they used to see them on double bills. And it's a Bond movie in space. Mm. You know, it's the two things I love, Bond yeah. and space, yeah. in the same film. Yeah, and it took me a while to get back. It was like moon, Moonraker <laughs> yeah, before, no, we, before we went back. But, um, it, but no, I thought it was... It's, so, you, because you, you, you knew John Barry very well. Yes. Um, I, I would never talk to him about music. Um, oh, really? Well, I, 
you know, I mean, if I had started, then I'd never have stopped. And I think sometimes that's a bit annoying for people that you sort of get to know somehow. You know, we talked about a lot of things. Um, but not and music. I, I, I couldn't really. I mean, no. I, I mean, the things that I would have wanted to ask him about. How did you do this? And the, you know, I mean, it's a, I, I've said this before, and. and um, I often wish I hadn't said it, but I'll say it again. Um, we were talking. I just once asked him about songs. You know, I said, like, what's when you're thinking of the song? You know, what's the thing that you go for? And he said, David, he goes, just make sure it's about cock. <laughs> <laughs> I trust none of that will leave this theatre. <laughs> Show is available as a podcast from Tuesday. <laughs> So your second choice, which is, I mean, also a, a really iconic piece of music, and the thing I, I love is that you've chosen two, two, you know, proper blockbusters. Tell us what your second choice is. Well, I think I've probably chosen these because when I was very young, those were the things that took you the furthest away. You know, yeah. the things that, and 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 for me, um, you know, you only live twice was like incredible escapism that I couldn't really relate to, but somehow this sequence uh, in ET. Um, with the bikes. Do you hear you everybody? Know. Literally, the I thing know, everyone's going, oh. I know. It's that thing, isn't it's it? It's that thing. It's that thing. And it's only music can do that thing. Uh, and, and I don't want to bore you with science, but I've been doing some work on how music works with your brain. And um, where speech, you know, can, can generate certain emotions, things that people say can generate certain emotions. Emo uh, music actually stimulates every part of your brain, every part of it. It's the only thing that does. Um, but interestingly, when you are composing, the only part of your brain that isn't engaged in that process is memory. So you're creating something completely new without, when you write something completely new. That's why I think musicians sometimes say, oh, I don't know where that came from, because you've never heard it before, you've never experienced it before. Anyway, nothing to do with this. But, um, <laughs> but I think, like, thinking about why this, you know, this sense of relatable, you know, I think everyone relates to the film because of that, you know, secret friend and, and one that could fly and could make you fly. You know, things escaping from grown-ups. Um, but just the elation you felt. I mean, this film had planted the seeds of this theme throughout and, and, and at the point when he kind of releases it, you know, I mean, I... I can only agree with Neil about about John Williams. He's incredibly balletic and and subtle and 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 such a clever reader of a film emotionally. Um, but the way he kind of releases it and he wait, you know, you hold and you wait, and then it's like bang, and he knocks it up two whole tones. Though it's in the, you know, it's just bang, and it's off in the system. <laughs>
just what makes you feel like giving up or just trying really hard. <laughs> it's just amazing. It is the it's da da. It's that's it's there is something about that interval, isn't there? It's that, but it's also you know the strings are really high in the tessiatura, so they they sing in a way that you know they don't normally get that high, and it's it's doubled and lots of boredness. But but anyway, it's part of it is the sound of it as well in a way that it's coloured because it's not just the line. I mean the the melody is extraordinary, uh, but it's the colouring of it and the weight of it and the way that he he holds back and then again like re- releases with the tune so um yeah it's just marvelous now you said uh, it makes the strings sing and i can't let you go without because the last time you came on you sang and you played the piano and it was really wonderful can we please persuade you to do it again um you can uh <laughs> i'll just explain a little bit of the, the, the song it, it, I was writing a song with... Uh, I thought it would be interesting to write a song for a James Bond film where he actually thinks about the things that he's done. And, <laughs> um, and especially, the, you know, the impact that it's had on, on, on him. So um, when I was working on uh, The World Is Not Enough, uh, it might, you know, it, it turned out that it's a, it's a bit grim. I think for that film, it made it onto the soundtrack album, and the melody is all the way through the film. But um, Scott Walker sang the original, which I was incredibly lucky to have happen. Um, and uh, I, I, I wanted to be about him at the end of one of these adventures, maybe just being on his own and thinking about, well, what was all that about? I mean, you know, the word is not enough. Is a is a film that ends with him, you know, fighting a a, a person in the in a a nuclear submarine in killing him with one of the um, nuclear rods uh, and he can't feel any pain so that's all right um, having previously shot his ex-girlfriend to death in a bedroom before jumping out of the window on top of a nuclear submarine so I thought sometimes these things don't you know carry the sort of weight that you, that you <laughs> might have. Uh, but it's Bond, so it's fine. And you know, the best thing about it is that James Bond will return. That's my favourite part of any James yeah. Bond film. Well, the opening, because potentially the opening, it's like you're going to watch the best Bond film ever. And then if it isn't, James Bond will return. return. So, <laughs> my, uh, anyway, so this was a song I wrote actually with Don Black. Um, uh, it's called um, "Only Myself to Blame." So I'm going to run over there and do it. Ladies and gentlemen, David Arnold. to forget in so many ways I've held other arms but they don't feel the same and I've only myself to blame from city to city I still see your face It follows me around All over the place I shouldn't look back But I do just the same And I've only myself to blame I knew it was love, but when you are young, you think love will come again and again. There's no greater fool 
in the Fool's Hall of Fame. I've only myself to blame. I knew it was love, but when you are young, you think love will come again and again. There's no greater fool in the Fool's Hall of Fame. I've only myself, only myself, only myself to blame. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll see you in the Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And now, would there be any other... Can I just ask, is he here? Thank God for that. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Isaacs. Oh my God, what the fuck am I doing? I know nothing about music. I can't play cards. I was offered a musical in the West End a couple of years ago. And, uh, I'm just going to sit back because this is what... This is, this is. I was offered a musical in the West End, uh, Guys and Dolls, and I said, uh, no, no, I couldn't possibly. And I turned it down. I phoned the producer. and went, you're an idiot. Do you want to lose money? Well, what, is this like the producers? And he said, no, no, we can teach you this thing. And I went, I love musicals. I love, in fact, Evergreen is one of my favourite yeah, Oh, yeah. I love musicals. I love singers. It's all I listen to. My, I have the gayest play tuner of a straight man you'll ever, ever come across. It's all show tunes. So it's all I listen to. I said, you're, you're making a terrible mistake. Do some research next time. And then my... <laughs> My wife's grandmother was coming to stay for Christmas, and she said, uh, oh, she loves Guys and Dolls, can you get tickets? And I'm all, I turned it down. She said, well, phone up and say you've changed your mind. I said, I'm not doing a show just to get your grandmother free tickets. You know? <laughs> so I, I said, I'm, I phoned up, I said, look, I'm definitely not doing it, 100%, because just can I make 110% sure any chance of house seats for Saturday night? And I went with my uh, wife's grandmother, my grandmother-in-law, and my wife and my grandmother, uh, and uh, whoever. 
those people. And uh, I came out and they, uh, I got there. It was a terrible mistake. The producer met me with the score and a CD and, and the book and all this stuff. And so the little antechamber, they had drinks waiting for us. And I said, no, no, you've completely misunderstood. I, I'm definitely, I couldn't possibly. He said, well, just be open-minded. So I watched it and clearly they had beautiful voices. It was to take over from someone. And um, I put the CD in the car. And we were all singing on the way home. And it stayed in the car for weeks. And I sang along with it. And I was thinking, I mean, the truth is that Nathan was written for a stand-up comic. You don't have to sing. You just go, Adelaide, Adelaide. It's not a song, you know. <laughs> Sky's got the good acting part. But he's got all those minor key songs. Anyway, one day my wife says to me, she goes, are you thinking of doing Guys and Dolls? I said, why? She goes, well, are you thinking of doing it? I said, probably not. She goes, you're not going to do it. It's a takeover. You're not going to do it, are you? And I said, no, probably not. She went, you sure? And I said, yeah. She went, well, stop singing those fucking songs. They're <laughs> driving us all mad. <laughs> but I want to say this about music. Don't leave the cinema, but my friend and brilliant director Ian Softley is in. He's going to introduce Backbeat, which I would have picked, but it's a bit cheesy because he's my friend and I'm hoping to work with him. But the score for Backbeat and the soundtrack, obviously, is uh, fantastic. Would you say, ladies and gentlemen, Ian Softley, who is indeed in the, in the house. And... On the, sub, on the subject of rock and music, the soundtrack uh, album for Hackers is coming out. Ian, when? Uh, record Store Day, 18th of April. Record Store Day, 18th of April. Uh, the, a record? What's a record? <laughs> <laughs> One of the you know, best film soundtracks ever, and Sweet. fantastic uh, liner notes by me. Oh. So, you know, oh. snap that up. Anyway, this has been a nightmare. I just like being on Desert Island. Just, I, I could never do it because I couldn't choose. But to choose two, yeah, but, but I was you... looking for Transforming Ricky Nixon, which is... Uh, oh, my God. Because Mark wrote the songs for Transforming Ricky Nixon, which that? I saw at the Edinburgh Festival, which was fantastic. Uh, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Sorry. No, I'm no. sure there's... Funnily enough, Steve Hiscock, who is here, was, 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 was uh, in, the, in the music for Transforming... I, I did it just to shock you. So, yes, I, I am genuinely shocked. I I, uh, wow, OK. I thought I'd get it, but I don't want to Mamma Mia. I want a Fernando Mamma Mia spoiler. Yeah. Of that bit where Andy Garcia turns out to be. Have you not seen it? Mamma Mia 2. Anyway, I think fantastic. it's in the trailer. I think when, it might yeah, be he gets off the thing. She says, and there's just so many, so many things. I love musicals and songs, but uh, you have to. And also, everyone else's choices. Every time he got up here, I thought, no, I, fuck, that was the one I should have chosen. God damn it! That's the perfect choice for this evening. So now I feel, I'm the dusty bin. No, no, you're not. Choices. No, I feel I am. <laughs> It's all gone horribly wrong. No, I feel that what you're, what you're oh, doing... Oh, you're swearing like a... You're, I know you, I said... Do you know why I swear like Richard Nixon? Because I'm sitting opposite him. Exactly, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> I have to say, I've said this before, Jason is the first person I ever heard swear in an English class. And that was when, because we were at school together, and I thought you were the coolest person I had ever known. And then you Tension and the cane. Yeah, exactly. But then you, you swore in an English class, I just thought that you are. And do you remember what you said? But no. You were reading an essay that you'd written, and it had a line in it which referred to a, a, an advert that was popular back in the 1970s, when cries went up of, hooray, fabulous, and who made the bloody sandwiches? And that was it. I said bloody. Yeah, you said bloody. Well, I was hoping I said fuck. I can't believe it. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so disappointed. I wish I hadn't heard that story. Jason, what I want to know is, yes. what are you going to do when your fabulous children make films? Because uh, I know George is going to make films. Are you going to review them and recuse yourself? No, well, there's, well, there's a, okay, there's a closer thing, which is that Simon Mayo is already involved in something which yes. is becoming a film. And so what we've said is that what he has to do is that he has to not do the show the week that it comes out. Because you cannot possibly review a film that's been made by somebody who's a member of your family. You've so. recused yourself a couple of times when I've been to some real stinkers. No, you've, I, just not mentioned, you've just not mentioned them, which I find incredibly sweet. Although I've sent you a text saying please rip this to pieces, it's I know, utter but, shit. But I, I actually know. have... <laughs> 
twice, haven't I? I did. But I actually hadn't seen them. That was what it was. I mean, no, well, which is nice. No, I mean, considering you, know, you see everything else three times. I know, I know. I know. In the case of your, there, I know there are two films that you're in. One of which will remain lameless. That you said this is the biggest piece of shit I have ever seen in my life. I still haven't seen it. No, no, that's good. Don't. No, no, exactly. No, life, no. Is too, life is too short. I'm coming to an end very fast. Can I say there's something very stiff in my trousers because I'm sitting next to you that I. I uh, <laughs> Honestly, Frankie Howard moment. No, I didn't know you'd have your band here, and I knew it was an evening about music. Yeah. And and I thought uh, I was just packing. Like, whatever, I was, I'm packing. I'm going away tomorrow. I delayed going away to come and see you tonight. Thank you. No, no, please, really. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what fell out of my backpack? Because I, I keep meaning know. to learn. Mm, I on. keep meaning to learn. You promised you'd teach me. Yeah. Is my mouth organ? Oh yeah. Because uh, I, you have to take it out when you go through customs uh, because yeah. it looks like a bu- bullet magazine. So, or it looks yeah, like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. So when it came out, I thought, you know what? You were going to teach me. I thought maybe you'd like to hear Mark play some music, although he has already played music, so it's ruined. But it hurts my crotch quite a lot. So I thought I'd take it out. <laughs> it's not been blown in anger, uh, <laughs> so it's clean. Can you play it? No, no. I thought okay. you might just give me a little riff, and I'll practice it on the right, way home so, on the so, tube and so keep people a long way away from me. So the, the key thing with the harmonic, I can't see what key that's in. But if, it, okay, if it's in G, C, G, G. if it's in G, so no, it's in C. Therefore, when you that's suck it, it plays C. in G. I know absolutely. It's, it's in C, but when, when you suck it, it plays in G. So essentially, what happens is if you draw, it gives you a diatonic blues. It's simple. Okay, if you blow it, it does this, which is nothing, right? If you no, suck, my, my dog can do that. Exactly. Do if you suck it, it goes. <laughs> so that's it. It's that's, all on that. So that's what. <laughs> That's the train sound. Now I feel like it's got some class in it. So, I've got a bone to pick with you. You've got a bone to pick with me, It'll all be right in the end. Yeah. If it's not all right, it's not the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Well, it's not me. I mean, I didn't make it up. It, uh, no, you didn't. No, I know I didn't make it up. I know. That's where we're going. Oh, uh, who did then? Old Parker wrote it for a Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. It, it'll all be it. all right in the end, and if it isn't the, if it isn't the end, it's, it's right, not right. It's not the end, and Dev speaks it. And I feel he's not got full credit. He should get a share of your uh, royalties. And well, I'm thinking. absolutely happy to credit Ol for doing that. I, I've, I've always said I didn't make it up. No, no, no. No, I, but the person... I, I, go on. Tom, I like him to touch my leg. No, no, OK. <laughs> I, no, well, that's fine. I mean, Tom Hanks was the person who was really impressed by it. So tell Ol yeah. that Tom was very, very impressed. Yeah, well, I okay. should think so, too. Can we move on to one of your choices of music? Because yes. I feel that the show's running away. I, ca- okay. Okay. I can't remember what they were, I'll be honest. With you. I was trying to get it on, up on my phone and my battery's dead. Okay. So I remember one of them. Which is the. Which, okay, that one, okay, good. Which is the. I joke because it was whirring around my mind. There were a million emails I nearly sent. So this. I just say, we're going to overrun by five minutes, Sorry. BFI, just Sorry. so you know, okay? Godfather. So. It's my favourite film. Yes. And when I, whatever time of day on, I don't sleep very much anyway, whatever time of day or night it is, if I'm flicking through telly and I hear just a chord, I have this sinking feeling because I know I'm in. I'm okay. in for the full, well, if there's three hours left, if he hasn't even gone to Sicily yet, you know, I'm in. Actually, might, right now, I might not be him anyway. But I, um, <laughs> I, I think they replaced the music later. Didn't he replace the music later? It was, it was someone else all the way through, and then he replaced it with his... Uh, well, there was, there's an issue about, the, about it not being original music. There's an issue right. about some of the music having been used beforehand, which I think... David Arnold, is that right? It, it, it was disqualified from uh, Oscar... Uh, pre-existing. because pre-existing, it's it was used in Knights in Calabria or something? I have no idea. Something like that. Anyway, yes. But... Um, 
And also, that Walter Murch cut it, and Walter Murch is one of the great editors of all time. And uh, I don't know which sequence we show in the end or the, the we shooting. We show in the end. Okay, so I, what, I was torn between. Because we've shown this a lot of shooting before. So. Oh, okay. So the, the shooting in the middle when he shoots the police chief and, uh, uh, and Salazzo, I love because I love it from the sequence where he builds up, where he suggests mm. it, and, yeah. uh, and James Kahn dismisses it, and that the camera just tracks in, and just, you just know this, this is his deal with the devil. But it's sealed here, right at the end, because he kills, spoiler, it came out in 1972, it's fair <laughs> but you know, he's killed his brother-in-law, uh, and he promised he wouldn't, and he waited till his father was dead, and um, I don't know how much of it you're going to show, but I... Right that, up until the closing duel. Okay, but, so his wife, there's an interesting thing about Al Pacino in this, generally, he's so contained, he's so restrained all the way through, and I saw, I, I'm obsessed with The Godfather 1 and 2, <laughs> not so much, but... Um, but Coppola was talking about directing him. So when you direct him in, in the first film, you could direct him. And you know, nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted him to play the part at all. Yeah. They wanted Redford, they wanted Khan, they yeah. wanted a million other people. And he had to audition. And he'd seen him in Panic in Needle Park, I think. Which is stage, brilliant. Which is brilliant. Um, uh, but he, he's a shouter. He likes to shout, likes to, he likes to be demonstrative. He'd done a lot of theater work. And Coppola, he wanted to burst out big in every scene. And he said, I get it, Al, I get it, but not in this scene. Not in the, I think you're right, your instinct is right. Use that instinct, but in this scene he can't shout. And he sat on him all the way through. By the time he gets to the second film, he's a huge star. So mm. there was a couple of moments, like in my house where my wife sleeps. And all that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Banging the table and stuff. Uh, and by the time he gets to the third one, he's like, I keep trying to get out there, pull me back. And then, <laughs> I met up. Do you know my Alpha Fino story? just say, hang on, it? we're going to drop the second clip. We're just going to stick hey, with this it. because this is a good story. Okay, so, oh, sorry. Yeah. I can't on. remember what it is. No, it's fine. It was, sat, it was the opening of Saturday Night Feed. Oh, no, I've seen it. it anyway, it's fine. Oh, Carry on. <laughs> so, uh, I was going to do Midnight Express as well. No. no. Anyway, so Al Pacino, I'm, I'm sitting in, uh, I was in a film called Friends with Money. You would like this at school. Oh, Go right. on. <laughs> um, I was sitting in a hotel, the Beverly Wilshire Hotel in Hollywood, there to promote Friends with Money, a little indie film. Yeah. And I'm there with the great Simon McBurney, who, who started yeah. the Theatre Complice stage, a great actor, directs uh, as well uh, in theatre. And he's sitting there and he goes, can you handle this whole Hollywood thing? You're so casual about it. I said, I mean, we're just having breakfast in a hotel. I mean, I've been here lots of times, but, uh, you know, oh, fuck, don't look now. I said, I get just as starstruck as anyone else. Al Pacino's just walked in, my heart's going. He looks across his very, very crowded room and he stands up and he goes, Al Pacino! <laughs> <laughs> and I shat myself, because you would. And I thought, this is the worst moment of my entire life. Because it's full of people having Hollywood breakfast. And you know, Al Pacino looks over, goes like that. And he looks at him and then he goes, Simon McBurney! <laughs> And he starts walking over because Simon Bernie directed him on stage, you know, to Rui on Broadway. And I thought, oh, thank God for that. Anyway, as he starts coming over, my, I get the dry throat and the heart goes, my voice shoots up. I call that and I think, you know, and I think, what am I going to say to the great Al Pacino? Like, God is coming to sit at the tower. How can I make, should I pretend I don't know who he is? I'm like, what? And then he's halfway across the room and I think, hey, he's not that fucking good. <laughs> he waves his arms around, he shouts all the time, his eyebrows are doing gymnastics. He's a piece of ham. He's like, well, you know, he overacts so much. I remember the story about Coppola. And he gets to the table and Simon goes, uh, Jason, this is my friend Al, Al's a Jason. And I go, hey, how you doing? He goes, fantastic, you gotta try the pancakes. They're <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, he doesn't overact. He's just, he's just Al Pacino, they're not trying to stop him. Anyway, nothing to do with this. This is, <laughs> this is the moment at the end of the film, there's just for a second, there's a tiny scintilla, of, uh, like a homeopathic flash of hope 
that maybe he's going to be honest and to his wife. He's going to tell her the truth. And it's, a, it's unbelievably tense. There are, tense. there are much more tense and dramatic and bloodthirsty moments in the film. But there is a moment in which you think there's something left of him, the Michael. He's going to talk to his wife. This is it. This one time. This one time I let you ask me about my affairs. people come from? They're standing in the room the whole time, or? <laughs> yeah, no. They're in the cupboard? What? Doesn't matter. That's, a, that's what they call the refrigerator moment, you know that thing? I think it's a Billy Freakin thing. Where there's a, I think it's Billy Freakin, the director, said that, uh, you know, you can have, when you're on set with directors and you, and you go, I'm worried about this, people will think, why have I walked through the door and I had a hat and I don't have it? And they go, and they often, poor directors, there's none in the room, uh, say, well, no one's going to be thinking about that. Yeah, well, they yeah. are thinking about it, it distracts you. But a refrigerator moment is where you, there's something that makes no sense at all, but you don't notice it when you watch. You don't yeah. notice it when you go out for dinner. Well, that is a, don't notice yeah. it. You go home and you go to bed. You wake up at three o'clock in the morning, you go to the fridge and you go, hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But his whole yeah. thing was about putting something like that in a film to see whether the audience were involved. So he would put right. a deliberate mistake in something, like Karis reaching out with one hand and then it's the other hand, right. and you, but you don't notice it because you're in the middle of it. He Jason, said he did that on purpose. I know in The Exorcist it is done on purpose, yeah. <laughs> My arse. <laughs> but, I mean, don't tell him. No, no, I won't. Ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Jason much. Isaacs. Thank you. See you later. <laughs> Right. We're going to close up the night with a musical number. Uh, we're going to do this busking style because, hey, it's my show and that's where we rock. So, at the piano, we're going to have Neil Brand, Stephen Hiscock on drums, Ali Hergy on guitar, David Arnold on guitar, and on vocals, Sanjeev Baskar and Hedda on the tambourine. And Amara Santi on shaker. Woo! Right, Mike, 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 lead the vocals on that microphone. Oh yeah, David needs a, needs a chair because he hasn't brought a strap. Okay, you lead him. 
I got a rocket in my pocket and a roll in my walk. Oh, don't buzz me, baby, with your North 40 talk. I didn't come here to listen, so let's cut the scene. I got a rocket in my pocket and a roll in my jeans. Let's go somewhere where we can rock a bit. I got a rocket in my pocket and my fuse lit. Oh, a lot of lip flapping makes my bad blood boil I didn't come here to listen, so let's cut the scene I got a rocket in my pocket and a roll in my jeans Let's go somewhere where we can rock a bit I got a rocket in my pocket and my fuse is lit Go, Neil! Better to me in and then getting me right. Oh, nice. There'll be no rocking tomorrow night. Oh, ain't nothing eating, I know. Ready to Better to me in and you get a signal right. Well, there'll be no rockin' tomorrow night. Ain't nothing you can tell me I don't already know. Rockin' it in my pocket and I'm rearin' to go. Let's let me some place that we can rock a bit. I got a rocket in my pocket and a fuse is lit. is polish and three and one is oil. Oh, a lot of lip flapping makes my bad blood boil. I did nothing you could say that I don't already know. I got a rocket in my pocket and a roll in the dough. Let's go somewhere where we can rock a bit. I got a rocket in my pocket and my fuse in there. Let's go somewhere where we can rock a bit. I got a rocket in my pocket and my fuse is in. One more time, baby. Let's go somewhere where we can rock a bit. I got a rocket in my pocket and my fuse is lit.
If you want to vote for Sanjeev, call 6345. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sanjeev Baskar, Ali Herji, Steve Hiscock, Mike Hammond, Neil Brand, Hedda, Amara Santi. Who haven't we thanked? Thank you everybody for coming. We have to get out because there's another show coming in here. Um, I'm so glad that you've all come along. It's been really lovely. I can't believe they let, they've let us do 50 of these. I hope they let us do 50 more. Um, thank you very much. Good night. Well, there we are. That was the 50th MK3D show recorded live at the BFI South Bank, the last of those shows for a while. But the Kermit on Film podcast will continue every week. Jack Howard and I already have a few conversations in the bag, and I'm going to continue to record and broadcast from home. Plus, all the previous shows are still available to download at any time. Why not delve into the back catalogue? Stay safe, keep your distance, and if we all pull together and do what's needed, it will all be all right in the end. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.